Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different in that I'm going to break up the episode into two. If I feel the episode's going to go way over and I think that there's going to be too much information into one episode which sometimes can happen and people struggle and miss out on things so what I might do is break it up into two episodes depending on how long I talk for but today's episode is on endometriosis and this is one of those things that I've written an awful lot about in the book and which is coming out on the 3rd of December which I'm super super excited and nervous about but it's one of those things that it's kind of coming up more and more through DMs. It's it's very, very common and it affects about 10% of women. So that's a, quite a high percentage of women that are affected by endometriosis. So in the first part of the episode, I'm going to talk about what is endometriosis, what are the common symptoms, how to get a diagnosis, what are the risks involved, and we'll talk about the link between gut health and endometriosis. The second part of the episode or the second episode will be diet and lifestyle and how to manage your endometriosis through those two. What supplements could be beneficial? Emphasis on supplements, it will not cure it. Training with endometriosis, what training could be more beneficial and type of training? Fertility and endometriosis, which I think will help an awful lot of people. And then we talk about PCOS and endometriosis. Can you have the two? So this is some one of those things that I think a lot of people don't actually realize. Um, so. What we're going to start off with is what is endometriosis. So endometriosis is a disorder in which tissue similar to the tissue that forms the lining of your, of your uterus grows outside of the uterine cavity. The, the lining of the, your uterus is called the endometrium. And then endometriosis is a gynecological, gynecological condition and affects up about 10% of women, which I've spoken about. Endometriosis generally occurs when endometrial tissue grows in your ovaries, bowel and tissues lining your pelvis. It's unusual for endometrial tissue to spread beyond your pelvic region, but it's not impossible. So this episode can help you if you have endometriosis. It can help you if you have clients with endometriosis, but it's important that if you have clients with endometriosis to stay in your lane. You are not a doctor. The doctors will know how to do the surgeries, do all that kind of stuff. But our jobs as practitioners are to make our clients' lives easiest as possible. If you are not qualified to do this, please do not attempt it. So some of the hormone changes of your cycle can affect the misplaced endometrial tissue, causing the area to become inflamed and painful. So you may find that some women who have endometriosis, that if they are around the time of the month, they might kind of get a little bit more bloating, a little bit hard bloating on their stomach. And this can be extremely painful for some women. This means the tissue will grow, thicken and break down. Over time, the tissue that is broken down is nowhere to go and becomes trapped, trapped in the pelvis. This issue trapped in your pelvis can cause irritation, scar formation, adhesions, in which tissues binds to your pelvic organs together, severe pain during your periods, and fertility problems. So if you are suffering from any of those, kind of tick the box and see which ones are your, you're kind of ticking the box. The evidence for endometriosis is very very low compared to that of PCOS and PCS, PCOS information and symptoms and information regarding it is kind of only coming to the fore now because more and more people are kind of speaking up about it more empowered women are speaking about it the shame has dropped people are getting more information on it and the same needs to be done for endometriosis although kind of like the exact cause of endometriosis is not certain possible explanations include retrograde menstruation, 
and this is menstrual blood containing endometrial cells flowing back through the fallopian tubes and into the pelvic cavity instead of out of the body. These endometrial cells stick to the pelvic walls and surfaces of pelvic organs where they grow and continue to thicken and bleed over the course of each menstrual cycle. Another one could be transformation of perinatal cells. Another one could be embryonic cell transformation. Hormones such as estrogen may transform embryonic cells, cells in the earliest stage of development, into endometrial-like cell implants during puberty. Another one could be surgical scar impl implantation. Another one can be endometrial cell transplant or transport. And there could also be an immune system disorder as well. A problem with the immune system that may make the body unable to recognize and destroy endometrial-like tissue that's growing outside of the uterus. As research is still quite new, more research is, is needed on this. But the general consensus is caused by immune dysfunction. Endometriosis shares some similarities with the likes of lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. There is also a strong genetic component to endometriosis. If someone in your family, like your mother or your sister, has endometriosis, then there's a high possibility that you will develop it yourself. And you also need to be aware that you are not alone if you have this disorder. So some of the symptoms that can occur with endometriosis can vary. Some women experience mild symptoms, but others can have moderate to severe symptoms. Once again, it's understanding your body. It's understanding how you work, how you operate. The severity of your pain doesn't indicate the degree or the stage of the condition. You may have a mild form of the disease, yet experience agonizing pain. It's also possible to have severe form and have very little discomfort. So it's recognizing your symptoms, recognizing and keeping a log. Pelvic pain is the most common symptom of pandemiosis. You may also have the following symptom, painful periods, pain in the lower abdomen before and during menstruation, cramps one or two weeks around menstruation, heavy menstrual bleeding or bleeding between periods, infertility, pain, following sexual intercourse, discomfort with bowel movements, lower back pain that may occur at any time during your cycle. So I'm sure there's someone taking the boxes along they saying, I have some of these, but you also may have no symptoms. It's important that you get regular gynecological exams, which will allow your gynecologist to monitor any changes. This is particularly important if you have two or more of those symptoms. Those symptoms again are painful periods, pain in the lower abdomen before and during menstruation, cramps one or two weeks before menstruation, heavy menstrual bleeding or bleeding between periods, infertility, pain following sexual intercourse, discomfort with bowel movements, a lower back pain that may occur at any during at any time during menstrual cycle. So in order to understand if you have endometriosis you must get a diagnosis it's not going to benefit you trying to self-diagnose going onto dr google and assuming that you have it you need to make sure that you get a proper diagnosis so the symptoms of endometriosis can be similar to the symptoms of other other conditions such as ovarian cysts and pelvic inflammatory disease treating your pain requires an accurate diagnosis your doctor will probably perform one or two of the following tests they will look into a detailed history. Your doctor will note your symptoms and personal or family history of endometriosis. And a general health assessment may also be performed to determine if there are other signs of a long-term disorder. They may do a pelvic exam. During a pelvic exam, your doctor will manually feel your abdomen for cysts or scars behind the uterus. Another one could be an ultrasound. Your doctor may use a transvaginal ultrasound or an abdominal ultrasound. In a transvaginal ultrasound, a transducer is inserted into your vagina. 
At present, a pelvic ultrasound cannot usually detect endometriosis lesions, but it can sometimes detect more serious forms of endometriosis. It is important to note that endometriosis cannot be ruled out by ultrasound. It cannot be ruled out by ultrasound. Endometriosis is a chronic condition with no cure currently. We don't understand what causes it yet, but that doesn't mean the condition has to impact your daily life. So what can we do with treatment? Understandably, you want a quick relief from the pain and other symptoms of endometriosis, and so do some of your clients if you're using them, if, if they have it. The condition can disrupt the life, and it can, and it can, and that's especially if it's kind of left untreated. It has no cure, but its symptoms can be managed, and getting to this managing the symptoms is going to make life so much easier. Medical or surgical op- options are available to help reduce your symptoms and manage any potential complications. Your doctor may first try conservative treatments. They mend that they they mend they may then kind of recommend surgery if your condition doesn't improve. So you need to consult with your doctor or a dietitian if you think you may suffer from endometriosis. So pain medications you can try over the counter pain meds such as ibuprofen, but these aren't effective in all cases. You need to consult with your doctor or medical professional to get medication. Some of the options include hormone therapy, contraceptives, de- uh, Deepavera, which is a type of pill. Uh, it's an injection. Um, we can also look at GnRH agonists and antagonists, uh, Danazol, and there are other drugs are being studied that may improve the symptoms uh, and slow disease progress. There are other also other options available including conservative surgery laparoscopy and as a last resort a hysterectomy so i'm aware of kind of some of the clients that i've had the the pleasure of working with in that some of them have had maybe two laparoscopies and then they haven't really worked or uh, or found long-term release from them so the next step for them was a hysterectomy which can be very difficult to get the head around and it can be a final thing for a a woman to and a difficult challenge for them in relation to getting their head around that that's kind of removing the womb and it's important to seek support seek help have mates have people around you and having a support group or going to talk to therapy or going to talk to someone if you are struggling with that side of things, if that's what the diagnosis you have been given. But it's important to look at other options first and deal with your work with your medical team that's around you. So the only real certain method for identifying endometriosis is by viewing it directly through a laparoscopy. This is done by a minor surgical procedure and that's the laparoscopy. Once diagnosed, the tissue can be removed in the same procedure. It may seem to be a little outdated, but it's currently the only method of diagnosis. The success of the surgery will depend on the skill and training of the surgeon, whether he or she manages to remove all of the lesions. There is more some there is some research that a surgery called an excision surgery is more successful in the long term, but that needs to be talked through with your medical professionals. Like with anything, there can be downsides to surgery, and these include the fact that it requires general anaesthetic and recovery. Another important downside is that it can cause adhesions or scar tissue which can, cause then, which can then cause pain. As mentioned before, surgery does not cure endometriosis. 
The rate of reoccurrence following surgery is 21% after two years and 40 to 50% after five years. Those numbers are quite stark. So 20% after two years and 40 to 50% after five years. This can ultimately lead to more surgeries. From research, the medical solution is to give hormone suppressing drugs to try and prevent this. This may be only a temporary solution, but you will need to go to talk to your medical team for that. Research on endometriosis is forever evolving and research is looking into a simple test that would use a biomarker found in blood, saliva, urine, menstrual blood or the uterine lining. This could lead to the diagnosis being made through a non-invasive test. This is at such a very, very early stage and it may take time to evolve into something that can be used for a diagnosis. Surgery is currently the primary conventional treatment. We need to be aware that surgery does not cure endometriosis. It can relieve pain and can sometimes improve fertility. Rarely your doctor will recommend a total hysterectomy as a last resort if your condition does improve with other treatments. So hysterectomy is the last resort. Some of the risk factors that can happen as well, kind of endometriosis usually develops years after the start of your cycle. The condition can be painful, but understand the risk factors can help you determine whether you're susceptible to this condition and when you should talk to your doctor. Sometimes age can be a factor. Women of all ages are at a risk for endometriosis. It usually affects women between the ages of 25 and 40, but some symptoms can begin at puberty. There's also an element of family history. You need to talk to your doctor if you have a family member who has endo, and you may have a high risk of developing the disease because there may be some genetic component to that, which I mentioned earlier. It's looking at your pregnancy history as well. Pregnancy may temporarily decrease the symptoms of endo, but women who haven't had children run a greater risk of developing this disorder. However, endometriosis can still occur in women who've had children. This supports the understanding that hormones influence the development and progress of the condition. There's also looking at your menstrual history. You need to talk to your doctor if you have problems regarding your period. These issues can include shorter cycles, heavier and longer flows and periods, or or menstruation that starts at a very young age. These factors may place you at a higher risk. We need to also look at a few other things, including the link with gut health and endometriosis. Endometriosis can have a huge impact on your gut. It's important to remember that although we don't know why endometriosis happens, it's both an inflammatory disease as well as a disease depending on estrogen, which is your female hormone, predominantly female hormone. Men do have estrogen as well. Don't forget that. Up to 90% of women with endo also experience bowel symptoms. The effects of an overexcited uterus can include painful periods, ongoing and excessive abdominal pain, nausea, fatigue and fertility issues. On top of these unwanted symptoms, Women with endo are more likely to experience symptoms of IBS, which can make for a very unhappy abdomen. From an anatomical perspective, it makes sense that what's going on in your small and large intestine may influence the symptoms in your uterus and ovaries and vice versa. They are sitting right next to one another. You have to remember that. They're sitting next right to one another after all. And when you have all that machinery crammed in together, it can sometimes be difficult to determine what's causing that. So you need to sometimes understand, you need to understand what's going on. Your gastrointestinal or your GI tract 
pushes food and poo along the tube by using the muscles that line the tract. The muscles squeeze and release in a wave movement that's called peristalsis. In some cases, endometrial lesions around the uterus and bowel can cause excessive pain and discomfort as your GI tract squeezes food and poo along this wave. Equally, if you have a blockage in the large intestine due to constipation or you have a buildup of gas in the large intestine, this can be this can put pressure on the uterus and ovaries, kind of worsening the pain and discomfort of the actual endometriosis itself. For some women, endometrial cells can even intrude into the actual bowel itself, which can cause inflammation, obstruction of the bowel and even micro hemorrhages. So from this perspective, endometriosis and gut health are already closely linked purely to their proximity and managing GI symptoms could help manage those endometriosis symptoms. So we need to look at what your gut microbes and your estrogen. So over the past few decades, we've learned more and more about the bacteria in the actual gut and the role that it can play in the bowel, the bowel health, immunity and brain health and the link, the link between the gut and brain axis. Interestingly, the bacteria in our gut can also influence our hormones, including estrogen. Because estrogen contributes to the growth of endometrial tissue, there is an emerging theory that changes to our gut microbiomes may impact endometriosis. Okay, so you need to listen to that again. Because estrogen contributes to the growth of endometrial tissue, there's an emerging theory that changes to your gut microbiomes may impact endometriosis. Within the gut, there, there is a, a collection of bacteria um, which are able to process estrogen and modulate the, the body's estrogen levels. This group of bacteria is collectively called the estrobolome. Okay, so E-S-T-R-O-B-O-L-O-M-E. Estrogen is made by the ovaries, adrenal glands and fat cells in the body. It then travels around our body in the bloodstream. All right. Then it is metabolized and changed into liver before being eliminated through urine or bile. And that's being excreted into in your poo itself. Amazingly, the estrobolome bacteria can change these eliminated estrogens back into their original shape, allowing them to be reabsorbed from the gut back into the bloodstream, thereby increasing estrogen in the blood itself. There are a lot of things that might affect the balance of your estrobolome, including age, ethnicity, genetics, diet, alcohol, antibiotic use, gut microbiomes, or gut microbiomes um, and inflammation. There's some evidence kind of coming out to suggest that your bacteria or your microbiome contributes to or is involved in the regulation of inflammatory factors. And this may influence endometrial lesion development down the line. Your bacteria break down a whole range of chemicals from your food, including your fiber and resistant starches. The bacteria then create byproducts um, or metabolites, which are a really fancy way of saying bacteria poo. Your body reabsorbs the metabolites and then those chemicals affect your pathways of your immune system, particularly inflammatory markers. This can signal more and less inflammation depending on the bacteria and the metabolite. The exact pathway of how particular bacteria influence inflammation in endo is not yet clear, but it's an emerging area of research. So what do we do is, is, is the big question. As you can see, there are lots of ways that endometriosis might be affected by good health and vice versa. But given this is all new and emerging knowledges, knowledge, what can we do with it? We can't yet make recommendations on taking a particular probiotic or eating particular foods to help with endo but we can take steps to support good health and manage good symptoms. 
I know later on, either later on this in this episode or if I decide to do a two-parter, I will be making nutritional advisements, but they're not prescriptions. So some of the ways that we can support a healthy gut diet is fiber. Think veggies and fruit. It's something that we're taught as a kid. It's something that a lot of us do struggle with because in inverted commas, we live busy lives and we tend to not deal with stuff when we have busy lives. Water. H2O is essential for keeping everything moving through your gut. Reducing the risk of constipation helps to reduce pressure within your abdominal cavity, which can lessen the pressure on endometrial lesions and help to manage pain. Physical activity. Moving your body helps to stimulate the muscles of the bowel to push things through, which again helps the constipation. And that could be yoga. That could be just going for a walk. Sleep. There is a growing evidence that the quality of sleep and duration of your sleep can affect gut bacteria. Getting more sleep in total supports a greater diversity of gut bacteria and waking during the night appears to reduce this diversity. Research has shown seven to nine hours is a decent number to aim for. Stress is also a massive factor. And if you're living a very, very stressful life, that can have a massive impact on your gut. It can come inflamed. It can reduce or increase appetite. And when our appetite gets increased, we tend to go as humans for more higher palatable foods, the likes of fats, the likes of sugar, the likes of um, more fatty foods. There's absolutely nothing wrong with those foods. But if you're struggling with bloating already and you're eating those in a quite a vast amount, or if you're eating them quite quickly, then they may not serve the purpose that you're looking for and they might decrease or might increase, should I say, the sensitivity to the endometriosis itself. So it's important to look at that from a point of view. So how do we manage the gut symptoms? So if you're suffering from IBS style symptoms in the context of endo, the main aim is to be able to minimize the impact of gut symptoms on your endo symptoms. There are some ways we can do it. So you'll probably need to go with a nutritionist that that knows they're talking about not with someone that's just put up a nutritionist up onto their bio and call themselves nutritionists, but a dietitian can help you with this. So you need to investigate your FODMAPs. So a FODMAP intolerance is a common contributor for IBS. FODMAPs are fermentable carbohydrates that are bacteria feed off and produce lots of gas. This gas can cause bloating and changes to your stool consistency all of which create more pressure and discomfort in the abdomen, where you may have endometrial lesions. Trialing a low FAD, a low FODMAP, not low FAD, low FODMAP, elimination diet with a dietitian can help you better understand how to avoid the trigger foods. So what it involves is taking out one of the foods for a little bit and slowly introduce it back in, try and test and see if you get a reaction. Do not this do this on your own. Go to work with someone on it. Sometimes there's some some evidence uh, for stuff like muscle relaxants, like herbal remedies that have a anti-spasmodic effect, meaning that they help to reduce the spasm of your gastrointestinal muscles, which what causes cramping and pain. Peppermint oil, ginger, chamomile can help. I've been shown some evidence. More evidence is needed for that. However, I would ultimately talk to your GP or a health professional before commencing new medication, even an over-counter one. So endometriosis is a chronic condition with no cure. 
we don't necessarily understand it fully yet but this doesn't mean that it has to impact your your life on a daily basis so effective treatments are available to manage um pain and fertility issues such as medications hormone therapy and surgery the symptoms of endometriosis usually improve after menopause so before i go on to the next part it's important to understand that you do have options you do have the options of being going to work with a dietitian to look at your gut health working on the fodmap diet looking at some of the other options looking at what your trigger foods are is stress the triggering you are you getting enough sleep it's also understanding what your options are when you're getting a diagnosis, which I mentioned earlier on the chat in the in the episode. So I would highly encourage you to go and look at that. So we now know what endometriosis is. We now know what some of the common symptoms are. We know now now know how to get a diagnosis. We know what some of the risks are involved are, and we now know that there's a link between good health and endometriosis. So what I'm going to go through now is diet and lifestyle, supplementation, training with endometriosis fertility and the link between PCOS and endometriosis so the second part of the episode will be out on Thursday so if you want to listen to that I would encourage you to kind of look back and look at the kind of like make a little few notes on what the episode has just been going through what is endo the symptoms diagnosis risks good health and endo and look back at that because if I put too much information into one episode information overload isn't going to help anyone so hope you guys enjoyed that episode